Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. Let's put our hands together for our pastors. Let's love on them. Thank you. We honor you, Pastor David. We honor you, Pastor Nicole. You guys rock. Man, I am, uh, I am excited. What a day, man. I've just had an anticipation um, for this day. And I just, in conversations with many of you, I believe you've had the same anticipation, uh, just what God is doing. And I'm just so proud of our church. This is who we are. We are a presence center. And not that the other churches are bad places or wrong places, but this church is right for me, right? And if this church is right for you, let me get an amen. Amen. And uh, I'm thankful for what other churches bring to the kingdom, but Dwell Church has to be Dwell Church. And that's why we're here, and that's why you're here. You make that happen. As Carson would say, you made that happen. So look at your neighbor and say, you made dwell happen. Um, I'm going to be ministering today from the book of Revelation chapter 4. And I'm going to be honest with you as a pastor and a minister of the gospel, Revelation um, is intimidating. Not uh, simply because there is so much going on. Um, And it's a lot to interpret. It's a lot to unfold. And we are doing our best. And I have to say that um, over these past two weeks, I have ate and ate and ate the word. You've heard of Netflix and chill. I, Revelation 4, and chilled. I watched every sermon you could find on Revelation 4. I read every piece of paper on the Internet. Not that there's paper on the Internet, but pieces of paper that they took pictures of and posted on the Internet about Revelation 4. And everybody has a different idea of their interpretation of Revelation 4. But I want to tell you that we're just going to give you some of our interpretation, and there's still more for you to unravel and you to unfold. So I encourage you to take time and read Revelation for yourself. Do the research for yourself. And I'm just going to throw out some things that I discovered. I was dreaming about Revelation 4. I kept waking up in the middle of the night and like, why was there four living creatures and 24 elders? I was like doing math projects and there's six wings and the face of a man and the face of a, of a lion and the face of an ox or a calf and the face of an eagle and eyes everywhere and throne here and 24. And who's the 24 on the throne and why are they wearing robes and crowns? And then they do this and then this do this and then there's this color and that color and then this happens. It's like a, a psychedelic trip. So it's just nuts. So just give you a little story this week. Um, I got stuck in the Walmart parking lot in the snow. I decided on Monday, since we didn't have power, let me go out in this. I grew up in the north. I can do this. I can drive. I got this. So we drive up. The main roads are kind of clear. But even now, with a lot of the snow melting, how many know a lot of the parking lots are like disaster areas, right? So this is Monday. So the snow's just hit. None of it's melted. It's freezing. And I drive up to Walmart to see if it was open. And uh, thank you. We don't want to give Fiji any props. (laughs) We're not drinking Fiji water. (laughs) Okay, we won't do that. So... um, We need to put some tape on those. So I went up to Walmart to see if Walmart was open, and they were closed. Um, And, you know, I thought about this morning. How many thankful that the church never lost power, right? I'm talking about the church. How many thankful that we never lost living water, right? Come on. It's the river that never runs dry. So 
but I lost power and I lost water. <laughs> so I drive up to Walmart and I'm coming through and they have not plowed the parking lot. So in order to get up and keep moving around, you got to have momentum. That's the key with driving in snow. You got to have momentum. Well, as I'm driving up to turn left, this car is coming, so I have to stop. And I'm like, oh, mess. I may have said something else. But I, for now, I said, oh, mess. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> How many of y'all said some cuss words over the past few days? The power is off. Oh, mess, right? So I'm stopped, and I'm like, oh, Lord. So Ava's with me. Me and Ava are in the car. And the car pulls past, and I hit the gas. Oh, mess, right? And I'm like, oh, no. Well, yours truly decided to go on an excursion with nothing but his house shoes, no socks, short shorts. Now, now I may or may not had, have had underwear under those short shorts. Come on, y'all know been chilling all week. You ain't done laundry. You ain't done showers. Don't judge me. Just trying to keep it fresh. I had a sweatshirt on. Had no undershirt. Ava is in her pajamas with her Yeezy slippers on and a blanket. And I'm like, oh, God, I am not prepared for this. I have to get out of the car in my short shorts and push. And at this point, it was like Monday. So it was like 10 degrees. It was like, ah! I mean, just push. And so I had to put Ava, who's 13, in the driver's seat to gas the car because there's nobody out there. And I'm like, this is bad. This is bad parenting 101. I was not prepared. And I'm like, you're about to get a driving lesson really fast. So I'm like, hit the gas just a little bit. And I'm pushing in my short shorts, in my house shoes, <laughs> and I'm pushing, and we get enough momentum, and she hits the gas, and it gets out of the little area where it was icing up, and I'm like, hit the brake. So what does she decide to do? She just gets out of the car. I'm like, what are you doing? The car is moving back. She's like, I'm out. I'm out. I've done my part. I'm out. <laughs> and I'm like running, and I get in the car. I'm like, get in the car. We get our momentum, we get home, we get warm, because the power came on for about 45 minutes, and we were safe. They were closed. But if they would have been open, by God, I would have walked in that Walmart with those shorts on. I told Pastor David this. He's like, John, you got to be more prepared than that. And I should have been more prepared. I should have put on some boots. So the next day I went out, I had on underwear. I had on sweatpants, thick socks, boots, a big jacket, a beanie. I even, I didn't have a sh like a snow shovel. I just had a regular shovel. I'm just going to stick that in a car, a piece of wood. Just grab anything MacGyver may have grabbed and throw it in my trunk so I'm ready. I was better prepared on Tuesday. So... Revelation is meant to, let's put that first slide up, to prepare us, not scare us. It's about preparation. It's the ultimate preparation age, right? Holy preparation. Come on. You're like, what is happening? Holy preparation. See, I grew up fearful of Revelation. I got saved because I was afraid of going to hell. Y'all know that. I was afraid of missing the rapture. <laughs> How many of you know those days growing up? I got saved in Savannah, Georgia when I was five years old. I remember my dad was preaching this revival. I was with him. He's preaching on heaven. He's preaching on hell. He's preaching on the rapture. And the power goes out. And I'm like, ran down to the altar. Because <laughs> I thought, I've missed it. The power went out. I've missed it. I remember going down. I got saved, filled the Holy Spirit, and it was an authentic encounter. I remember growing up, the youth group. How many remember growing up in, in church youth group and you had lock-ins? You remember church lock-ins? 
and, and we would do dumb stuff like watch Thief in the, in the Night. Y'all remember that, that rapture movie, Thief in the Midnight, uh, Distant Thunder? We'd watch, hey, it's 1 o'clock. What do you want to do? I don't know. Let's watch Image of the Beast. Scared the mess out of us. I got saved every lock-in. And I would watch movies or hear services about the rapture and revelation. And I remember my parents one time being late to pick me up from middle school. And I thought I missed the rapture. (laughs) Because there were no cars in the parking lot. They were super late. We didn't have cell phones. The sky was like, the clouds were like perfect. And the sun was shining through. And I'm like, oh my God, I've missed it. I'm going to be stuck at this middle school forever, right? I remember those times, like, being so fearful of the rapture that you'd be in the house, and all of a sudden the, the house would get quiet. The vacuum cleaner would stop. The, the birds would stop chirping randomly. And it just get real quiet, and all the blood starts rushing to your head, like, oh, God, I missed it. I missed it. And that's usually the perfect time that on your TV, the emergency broadcast system decides to test their system. Boop. You're like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And he's like, just kidding. But the rapture would scare the mess out of me. But I learned that it's not about being afraid of going to hell. It's just about falling in love with Jesus and longing to be with him and, and, and worship with him. See, there is, a, there is an anticipation, a longing. An excitement for the coming of Christ. An anticipation, a longing, and an excitement for the coming of Christ. God is coming back for his church. God is coming back for his bride. And I don't know about about you, but I want to go. I want to go. Yes, I want his kingdom to come. I want his will to be done. I want to do everything we need to do on the earth. But I ultimately want to be with him. And when I die, one day, when I die, come on, one day when I die, if I don't die on this earth, then I'm going up in the rapture to be with him forever. And I don't just want to go, but I want to take everyone with me. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved my soul, right? My dad said it this way, son, what's better than going to heaven and worse than going to hell? Taking someone with you, right? What's better than going to heaven and worse than going to hell? Taking someone with you. So not only do I want to go, but I want you to go. And I just want to take this second to challenge you. Call your uncle. Call your aunt. Call your cousin. Call your friend. And just tell them Jesus loves them. Tell them that he died to save their soul, that he rose from the grave and and covers their sins, right? We've got to tell people because not only do I want to go, I want you to go as well. So the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. And if I don't die on this earth, I will go in the rapture. And I just need you to know this whole sermon is not about the rapture. I just wanted to put this out here to you that we at Dwell believe in the rapture. It's in our bylaws. Uh, Now, the actual word rapture is not in the Bible. Let's put this next slide up. You see, the word rapture comes from a Latin word, rapturo. Somebody say rapturo, which means to seize or snatch or the actual removal from one place to another. It means to be carried away in spirit or in body. The Latin word rapturo comes from the Greek word harpazo. Somebody say harpazo. So we find this word in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, and it's translated as caught up. Somebody say caught up. How many ever heard of usher? Usher caught up. And you don't know what to be. I don't know the word, but I know these two caught up. Caught up. We went and saw him in concert. His grandma attended our church in Chattanooga, and we went and saw him in concert. And it was the best concert I've ever seen, by the way. And y'all are already judging me right now. Like, you better be glad God didn't come back during that concert. You might not have gotten caught up. All right, so let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Let's put that up. Slide 3. For this 
we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be together with the caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord therefore comfort one another with these words we also see harpazo elsewhere in the bible how many know the story of philip philip in the book of acts uh, this was cool, and you discover new things every week, every day in the Bible. Philip was actually caught up, not up, but caught away from one place to another, literally, literally teleported. Like, read it for yourself. If you have time, go to Acts chapter 8, verse 26, and just read that. He's ministering um, to this Ethiopian Munich, and he leads him to the Lord, and... By the time the Ethiopian turns around, he has been caught up, harpazo, translated to Caesarea. And then they, there he is preaching the gospel in Caesarea the very next verse. So he literally teleported. Did you know you could teleport in the kingdom? I actually know somebody who did that. You're like, you're a liar. Maybe I'm not. Um, I take her word and her encounters to be true. But literally, harpazoed from one city to another. We also see this with Paul. Paul talks about his experience in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, being caught up in the third heaven. Somebody say caught up. And the rapture will be fast. Somebody say fast. We are the true fast and furious, right? Rock ain't got nothing on us. Look at your friend or your neighbor on your left or on your right and say, you're the fast and you're the furious. Let's go to the scripture, slide five, or slide four, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. We shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So the twinkling of an eye is faster than you can blink. Let's put that next slide up. It's when a ray of light hits your eye and bounces off. It's, it's a split second. It's the word we get, atomos. It's the Hebrew word or the Greek word, atomos. Not able to cut or divide because it is too small to be measured. Like a split second, an instant, an indivisible moment of time too short to be measured. So one day when Jesus is ready and only he knows the time, the trumpet will sound and pew, we're going to be gone. We're going to be with him forever. How many are excited about this day? Come on. How many are excited about this day? Don't be afraid of going to hell. Be excited about going to heaven and being with him forever. So as we jump to chapter 4 of Revelation, some believe that this chapter, specifically chapter 4, verse 1, is alluding to the rapture of the church. Now, I'm not going to say that this is our stance. I, we can't say that we are pre-tribbers, mid-tribbers, post-tribbers, or pan-tribbers. You're like, what's a pan-tribber? I'll just give you that in one second. But those that are pre-trib say this. After this, I looked in chapter 4, verse 1, Revelation. Uh, after this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here. And I will show you what must take place. So some believers in the church believe in pre-trib. They believe that this verse um, is where the rapture happens. I'm not saying that's going to happen. Um, because I just believe one day we're going to go with them. Let's go to slide six. Let's go to this next slide. So I said this before, uh, one more, uh, about the uh, pre-trib, mid-trib slide, if you have that. Um, so you have pre-trib, those that believe we will be caught up 
and then there will be seven years of tribulation. Uh, some believe mid-trib that we will be here for three and a half years, then we will be caught up, and then, um, then three and a half more years of tribulation. Or post-trib, we're going to get caught up at the end of the tribulation. Uh, and then there's the pan-trib, which means it's all going to pan out, right? And that reminds me of another pastor joke. My uh, pastor in Atlanta, he would always say, he'd get to the end of the sermon, and he would say, church, I know we got to go, but who's going to give me five more minutes? Who give me five more minutes? Let me see you. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Five, 10, 15, 20, 25. So next time you preach, you can use that. We call those father-dad jokes. Listen, if I had to choose, I would choose pre-trib, right? <laughs> I don't want to be down here when all that stuff happens. Let's go to slide seven, the next slide. The reason they believe this, um, because of the rescued righteous, um, the church, you see the church is not mentioned. Uh, it's mentioned 19 times from chapter one to chapter three, then not again till chapter 22. Uh, and then the tribulation is over. The door, the open door he talks about in chapter four, the door is standing open. The only other time heaven is open is Revelation 19 when Jesus is coming down. The trumpet, the sound of the trumpet, the invitation, the invitation to come up here. The only other time revelation that God calls from heaven like this concerns the resurrection and the ascension of the two witnesses in Revelation 11. But listen, just want to throw all those out there to you for you to understand it's all eschatology. Somebody say eschatology. It's the study of end times. I could find 100 people that believe this. I could find another 100 people that disagree and believe this and believe that. Uh, but somewhere in God's plan, we go up. We have to go up in order to come down with him after the tribulation, Revelation 19, 14. So let's put this uh, next, oh, put our slide eight, eight up for me the next slide. So it's not about being right. It's about being ready. Somebody say, it's not about being right. It's about being ready. If he comes today, be ready. If he comes mid-trib, be ready. If he comes post-trib, be ready. If he comes pan-trib, I don't know, just be ready. Look at your neighbor and T.D. Jake style say, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. So let's go to this next slide. It's Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. So write these things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. So Revelation breaks down kind of in three forms. If we have that next one up there. So you see in chapter 1, it reveals the person of God, the person of Christ, Chapters 2 and 3, we see the, the P of God. Yeah, the P of God. Um, <laughs> uh, don't know what that is, but I'm sure it's awesome. Um, the people of God is what it should say, um, which is chapter 2 and 3. Church milk, I know you're watching, all right? So he says the things you have seen, chapter 1, chapter 2 and 3, the things that are, chapter 2 and 3, and then the program of God, chapter 4, verses 20 through, 20 through chapter 22, after these things. So we don't want to get, I just kind of wanted to put that out there because I want you to know that there will be a rapture. I'm not saying that this is where it happens, but I felt compelled to tell somebody, like, we're going up. And I, I want you to be excited about that, to be with him forever. Don't know when, no one knows the day or the hour, only he knows. And when he comes, he's going to come like a thief in the night, and it's going to be amazing. So, Revelation 4. Somebody say Revelation 4. Let's put up this next slide. Revelation 4 is throne-focused. Throne-focused. 11 times in 11 verses, he mentions a throne or thrones. John talks about what he saw, and out of all the things he saw... There were four living creatures with six wings and different faces and 24 elders and thrones and crowns and thunder and lightning and peals of thunder and, and the jasper and the ruby and the emerald and, and what the elders do when the living creatures do this and then what they do. Out of all of that stuff, the first thing he sees is a throne. 
chapter 4 is throne focused. So we see who is on the throne. Somebody say on the throne. What is happening around the throne. Somebody say from the throne and say before the throne. Listen, it's not just any throne. It's the glory throne. Not just a throne, but the throne. The glory throne. In the Hebrew, the word is this. Let's put that slide up. Kisei hakavod. Somebody say kisei hakavod. Which means the throne or chair of glory or of honor. The chair of glory. The first thing he sees is the chair of glory. Isn't that awesome? We're going to read the chapter. Just give me one second. There's probably nothing more beautiful or grander in the Bible than this chapter right here. This is it. This is the setup to the ultimate worship service in chapter 5, where everything on the earth and under the earth and in the heavens begins to praise him. This is the setup. This is God Almighty in his fullness. And John, in the spirit, not in the flesh, because if it was in the flesh, it would probably destroy him. But in the spirit allowed him to see, to get a glimpse of the chair of glory, the beauty of God, the magnificence of God, the splendor of God. Revelation 1, verses 3, Pastor David has alluded to this. Blessed is the one who reads this. So we're going to read the whole chapter, 11 verses of chapter 4. And I, I want us to... Give us some music. I have some music that I want to play while we read this to create this atmosphere. But since we're going to talk about the throne, you can go ahead and start the music. The throne of God, the kise hakavud, the chair of glory, the chair of honor. I want us that as I read this, whenever you see the word throne, I want you to shout glory. And I want you to picture what John maybe see and maybe what you take away from it. As he describes, he gives us glimpses. I think he wrote and said exactly what he needed to say and write for us to unravel over time and for it to unfold to us over time. But I want to read this. And as I do, every time you see the word throne or thrones, I want you to shout glory. Can you help me, church? Let's turn that music up just a little bit. Revelation chapter 4. Lord, as we read this today, show us something we've never seen before. Let us hear something we've never heard before. Let us feel something we've never felt before. We thank you for the promise of the blessing as we read this. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated, <laughs> and on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal, in the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings, day and night. 
They never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by you will they Will they were created and have their being. Can we put our hands together and give God some glory today? Come on, you can do better than that. We give you glory, Lord. We give you honor. So I just want to take a few moments to give you a little bit of the layers that are unfolding here. On the throne, we see there in verse 3, that he uses the stones jasper or ruby or sardius, an emerald. He looked, the one, somebody say the one, the one who sits on the throne, he said he looks like jasper. So reddish, darkish, translucent, looks like fire. Somebody say fire. Jasper symbolizes the glory of God, his splendor, magnificence, and beauty. It symbolizes the blood atonement we have through the sacrifice of judgment. It, is, it also represents royalty, prosperity, prestige, and valiance. Here's what I love right here. This last point, before I get to this last point, I want to put up a picture of a high priest. Now, before Jesus there was a representative, a high priest, who would approach the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies in representation for the city, for the people. And, and the priest would wear eight priestly garments. And one of those garments was what they called a breast piece. If you look in Exodus chapter 28, verses 17 through 21, God tells them specifically how to make this breast piece. And on that piece, you see stones, 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And on each stone is listed the name of each tribe. And they are in order from youngest or from oldest to youngest. And here's what's cool that he describes Jasper. Jasper is actually the last stone on the breastplate, which is the tribe of Benjamin. So what is he saying to us through these throne stones? He's saying, I am the last. I am the omega. I am the end. I am it. But then what's cool is as you go to ruby or sardius or carnelian, it has different names. But ultimately, let's go to the next throne stone. He says he looks like a sardius, a carnelian, ruby, depending what uh, interpretation of the Bible you read. But this ruby was blood red, which represents the blood, the sacrifice, redemption, atonement. It signifies the scepter of God, his power and his glory through his purified people. It is, it is the God in his company of saints, those who walk in the spirit and power of Elohim without measure. It embodies the glory of God in judgment. Here's what's cool, too. That is the first stone on the breastplate, which represents what? The tribe of Reuben. So now he's not only saying, I'm the end, but I am the beginning. I am the first. I am the alpha. So even in his appearance, he's telling us he's the God who was and is and is to come. Can we give him praise for that today? Even his skin, even what he shows us through who he is just says so many things. Here's another cool thing. If you... Um, do more research, some theologians believe that the stones were also linked to apostles. And so when you look at a Jasper stone, Jasper is linked to Peter. 
And what's cool is, if you go further into Revelation and the rebuilding of the new Jerusalem, the walls are made of what? Jasper. And what's the first foundation? Jasper. And you go back to when Jesus looks at Peter in Matthew 16, 18. He says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Isn't that super cool? He has so much intention. I love Travis Green, and he got it right when he said he's intentional. Stones and words, it all connects. But he doesn't just stop at Jasper and Ruby and Sardis, Carnelian, whatever you want to call it. But let's go to the next slide. He said around the throne or uh, not on the throne, uh, he's Jasper Ruby, and then they said around him was like a, a rainbow, an emerald rainbow. I love this because the rainbow represents what? The promise of God. We see this in Genesis 9. All his promises are yes and amen. It even encircles him, and the fact that it encircles him, it shows us that the promises come full circle. We only are able to see rainbows, what, above. But this literally goes all the way around him to tell us that his promise has come full circle. It's never ending. And I love that it's emerald because if you look at the breastplate, emerald represents what? Come on, the tribe of Judah. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. That is his tribe colors. He is from the lineage of David, who is from Judah. Somebody say Judah. So not only has shown us who he's from, but who he is. He is enthroned in praise. Can we take about 30 seconds to give God praise? Like an emerald rainbow, we will surround you with Judah, with praise. We give you glory and honor. Then we see not just who's on the throne and what he looks like or the one looks like, but around the throne. Somebody say around the throne. Now, you see that there are 24 elders in verse 4. Listen, eschatology runs deep. Who are these 24 elders? I don't know. <laughs> Some believe they're apostles, disciples. They're forms of the Levitical breakdown, the priestly breakdown, the, the worshipers breakdown. I, there's so much. Here's what I choose to believe. I believe that this is a, a picture of the redeemed church. Why? Because of what they are wearing. Somebody say robes. They were dressed in robes, robed in white. The robe represents the robe of righteousness provided through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It is the garment that God covers each of us with so that when he looks at us, he only sees us washed in white as his child. Hebrews 10, 17 says our sins he remembers no more. The robe is what symbolizes us as acceptable and justified, not guilty before the Lord. So here we are, sitting on thrones, reigning with him. What kind of God shares his glory? What kind of God shares his honor? Not only does he redeem us, but he seats us in heavenly places. And he robes us, but he doesn't stop there. We get to wear crowns, victor crowns, golden crowns that represent all our achievements that only we could have done with the Lord, the crown of life. But here's what they get to do. They kind of have to do because his glory is so awesome. But they also get to do it. They fall down and cast their crowns before the Lord. Cast their Facebook likes before the Lord. Cast their Facebook views and their friends and their, their raises and their bonuses and the businesses they created and all the accolades and all the achievements. They get to take that and say, take it. I don't want it because you get the glory. You get the power. You get the honor. We get a crown, but then we get to give it back to him. Let me say that again. We get a crown, but we get to give it back to him. Not only are there 24 thrones with 24 elders wearing robes, crowns, 
but there's four living creatures. Jeez, who are these four living creatures? We know that they are seraphim, which means burning ones. They are fully alive in Christ. I love that it doesn't just say creatures. It says living creatures. Four living creatures. They, there are many beliefs and studies on who these four living creatures are. Listen, eschatology, there's a lot. But I think we can find something in all of it. Let's go to this next slide. Some believe that the four living creatures represent the attributes of God. Man refers to God's wisdom and knowledge. The, the lion refers to God's power and majesty. The, the calf or the ox refers to God's patience and justice. The eagle refers to God's glory, height, and sight. That's pretty cool. Some believe that the four living creatures refer to the four gospels. I love this. The man refers to the gospel of Matthew, who started his gospel with the genealogy of Christ as the son of man. The lion refers to the gospel of Mark, who started his gospel with the voice crying out in the wilderness. The calf or the ox refers to the gospel of Luke, who started his gospel with the sacrifices which Zacharias was offering in the temple. And the eagle refers to the gospel of John, who started his gospel with the divinity of Christ. How many think that's pretty cool? It could meet that too. I don't know. And the four living creatures, uh, some people say refer to the living church of God, the church of Christ. The man refers to the bishops. The lion refers to the priests. The calf or the ox refers to the deacons. The eagle refers to the laity. Listen, let's go to this next slide. It's not so much about who they are, but it's really about what they do. Chapter 4, verse 8. What do they do? Let's go back to that. Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. I want to read that to you. Each of the four living creatures having six wings and was covered. And it's so cool that Pastor Nicole read this today. Um, six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We can get so caught up. Well, who are they? I don't know. I don't know who they are. It's, it's, it, uh, it's unfolding. There's many definitions. But listen, it's about what they do. They never stop saying holy, holy, holy. Let's go to uh, the next slide. From the throne. Somebody say from the throne. There is a lightning Peals of thunder and rumblings of thunder. Lightning represents God's majesty and judgment. You know, it's, it's funny. It's like you think throne and then you, you, you kind of almost see it. You see the grandest throne you can, but then when he gives the next description, the picture gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And when you start talking about lightning and thunder, especially in Texas with our big skies, it gives you a picture of how big this picture is. Lightning represents God's majesty and judgment. There's a difference in rumblings of thunder and peals of thunder. Thunder represents the voice of God. The peal is the ultimate, that Boom. And if the thunder represents his voice, then the peals of thunder is his declaration going forth. And the rumbling is watching the declaration unfold. So now that if you, you get that picture, think about Genesis 1 when he said, let there be light. What that would have sounded like. And I believe even in that simple declaration in Genesis 1 that it is still unfolding, that universes are still being created, stars are still being created because of his thunderous voice that said, let there be light. And if you think about it too, when, he, when we say what he says, it may look one way on the earth, but imagine what it sounds like in the heaven. When we release what he releases, what we can bind on heaven will be loosed on heaven. What we, come on, when we join in an agreement with what heaven's saying, imagine what it sounds like in the heavens. Before the throne, somebody say before the throne, and I'm almost done. Who'll give me five minutes? <laughs> I got 10, I got 10. There are seven blazing lamps. Metallica, 
concert has nothing on this. This is the ultimate pyro. This isn't just like a little lighter. We're talking about a blazing, it says a blazing lamp, an inferno. I want you to picture the pillar of fire that led the Israelites through the wilderness. The millions, the hundreds, the thousands. This thing had to be miles wide and miles high, and there's seven of them. And they represent the spirits of God, the spirit of God. It's one spirit, but it's broken down in seven different ways. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 says, The spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And not only are there seven blazing lamps, pyro, there is a sea of glass that even amongst all of this grandeur is a place, a sea. Somebody say a sea. Is it actual water? I don't know. But a sea describes vastness and expanse. The picture gets even bigger. How many have been to the beach? And you just, I've had moments every time I go to the beach that I stand at the water and I look out and I'm like, where does this end? And what's on the other side of that? There's this fastness to God, this expanse to God. And I want to take a moment, just when you think about that, why do we doubt him? Why do we second guess the God who sits on the throne and in front of him is this fastness? Woo! And it says it's clear as crystal, which represents the purity and holiness of our God. And then it's, it's smooth. Crystal is smooth-like that even before the throne, there's calmness. There's peace. God ain't worried. <laughs> He's not sitting on the edge. Oh, what, what, what am I going to do? He rests on the throne. And there's this, there's no way. It's just smooth. There's this fastness. There's this purity, this holiness, this smooth, this calmness before the Lord. That's why when we say, I just want to sit here at your feet. Because that's where his peace is, Right? You find yourself in a season where you don't know what to do. Just say, God, I just want to sit here at your feet because if there's a sea of glass before you, that's where I want to be, where it's calm and it's vast, it's pure, it's holy. So here's four things I want to give you, and then I'm done. I want to remind you as you read this verse, there is a heaven. Ha! Come on, there's a heaven. <laughs> Come on, we're not doing all this for nothing. There's a heaven. Ha. Woo! I feel that in my feeler, right? I tell you what, when we go to heaven, you know, the Bible talks about we're going to be caught up and those who are asleep, listen, that the, the dead will rise. Their bodies are going up. And... Um, we're going to have glorified bodies and be up there together. And listen, a lot of people talk about getting to see their loved ones. And I can't wait to see Jackson. But I really can't wait to see Jesus. <laughs> I can't wait to see my papa. But I can't, I really can't wait to see Jesus. I'm thankful I'm going to see all of those who've gone before. But I want to see Jesus. <laughs> Woo! I'm thankful that there is a heaven. There is a heaven. And in heaven, what? There is a throne. Come on. There is a, a throne, a chair of glory. There is someone who is in charge. And here's the third thing I want to give you. That it's not an empty throne. It's not an empty throne. Not just any person sits on it or takes turns sitting on it, but there is one. John says, the one who sits on the throne. And he sits there, listen, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. He reigns forever and ever and ever. He rules forever and ever and ever. He's in charge. 
That's why they say, the elders say, and, and the, the four living creatures say, who was and is to come forever and ever and ever. And here's my favorite part. We get one too. We get to sit on a throne with him. We get to rule and reign with him. And we get to cast our crowns before him day and night. I can't wait. Reading these chapters, these verses, has made me so lovesick. Lord, I want to do everything you have for me on this earth. But there is a heaven. There is a throne, and there's one who sits on the throne, and we're going to reign with him and cast our crowns forever and ever and ever. So here's my challenge to you as the musicians come. Two things. First, do you know that you're going to heaven? If you're not sure, make the decision today to say, Jesus, I want you in my heart. This is not out of fear. This is his love calling you and wooing you. I mean, if there's a heaven, there's a hell. There is a hell. But I'm not going to preach fear. I just want to preach love. Fall in love with Jesus again. So today, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you'd say, I just want to make it right. I want to go to heaven, and there's sin in my heart. I want to reaffirm that, God, I'm trying. I love you, and I want to take you in, have relationship with you. If you say, that's me today with no one looking, would you just raise your hand all over this room? Anyone? Raise your hand. Anyone? Jesus, come into our hearts. We believe that you died on the cross and you rose from the grave and you sit at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Give us the Holy Spirit. Lead us, Holy Spirit. Lead us, Holy Spirit. Show us, Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, here's the second thing I want to do. I just want to create an opportunity for us to cast our crowns. Why wait till heaven? Can we take a moment? Crowns, if our crowns represent our achievements, our life. He doesn't get the glory until he gets all. He doesn't get the glory until he gets all of you. And if there's anything, and you say, I give God glory. Well, what an honor to do it again. So I just want to create a place because the elders, what do they do? They fall down and they cast their crowns. So as the team just leads us, whatever God's flowing, as we just go into a time of worship, I just want to encourage you to fall down and cast your crowns. Cast it all on him, not just your problems. It's easy to give God your problems, but can you give him your glory, your honor, your achievements, your successes, can you give those to him? Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.